Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. We're reading today from Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. Good morning. few announcements before we get into the sermon. Uh, right after worship, we're having a fellowship meal. So you're, you're all invited. If you didn't bring anything to eat, don't worry. We'll, we'll have enough food. If we have to order pizzas, we'll order pizzas. But um, right after worship, the fellowship meal, we are having communion today. And when we do communion, we've kind of got two, two sides here. And we're going to have um, two uh, uh, of the elements of the the juice and the the bread and I would just say if you're in the middle row kind of peel off like that if you're in these rows come up here and we'll have two um, two lines I guess all right Uh, as you have seen archery that starts on June 23rd you see the signs out there we need volunteers Uh, please see myself or Russ or Eddie Um, June 23rd that's a Thursday You're welcome to bring your children, your children's friends, invite people. It's a great time, uh, and that is coming soon. All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just got done singing that last song, The Power of the Cross, help us as a body of believers to ponder, meditate on, think on, our redemption. Lord, we confess that too often we treat our redemption apathetically, without thankfulness. But we have been redeemed by your blood, and it's been a huge cost to you. It's free grace for us, but it is a huge cost to you. Help us, Lord, as we go through the scripture today to to really come face to face with that truth, to really think upon what it cost you and, and why that should evoke worship and thankfulness and gratitude in our hearts. Again, Lord, we confess that all too often we do not live with that worship and thankfulness and gratitude for our redemption. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so 
As you know, we are in the book of Ephesians. We're taking a slow journey through Ephesians. So we'll be in Ephesians right through uh, mid to to late October, um, a few verses at a time. And one of the reasons that, that sometimes we really slow down and go through a book and just do a few verses at a time is because it really forces us as a church to reckon with God's word. I can say as a, as a preacher, um, you give me a big, big passage, big old paragraph to, to preach on, I can kind of pick and choose what I want to talk about. But when you take, give me three, four verses, I, I, I can't wiggle out of that. Um, as you saw last week, um, uh, on last week's topic, there, there's just no wiggling out of it. So at times, that's what we do. Sometimes we take these big portions of scripture, we're at the 30,000 feet flyover and we're looking at the biblical storylines. Other times we're landing and, and as I said a few weeks ago, we've landed, we're in Ephesus. We're walking through the streets, we're, we're kind of turning over um, the words and, and looking at what everything means. So let's go to Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. <clears throat> in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So I want to I wanna ask you this morning, when you hear that word redemption, this is another one of those words like glory um, uh, or praise that we hear, and it's a church word. Redemption is a church word, but what does it mean? And I'm not looking for a verbal answer, but I, I just want to get you thinking and, and maybe in your own mind, um, what does redemption mean? In him, we have redemption through his blood. And this is a word that we're going to just kind of press on a, a little this morning uh, to give you guys the, the definition of redemption um, it carries with it these ideas. Here are the, the biblical ideas. Number one, to be set free from something. It can also be said to be liberated. Redemption has that idea of liberation. Deliverance, to be delivered. To be released by payment. To be freed by ransom. It's another word that's a, a biblical word, but redemption carries with it this idea of ransom. So when you hear redemption, I just want you to hear released, redeemed, and ransomed. And the question that we have to ask this morning, when we read these words, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption from what? Redemption from what? Released from what? Ransomed from what? And as I look out this morning, and um, I, I, I just know from, from talking to a lot of you that there's going to be different answers to that. There's going to be probably a lot of the same, a lot of kind of one focus, but there's going to be different answers to that. All right, let's... Um, we're going to go to Ephesians 2.12, and, and we're not in Ephesians 2 this week, but I want, to, I want to read this because I think we need to keep this always in focus. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you, 
were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is Paul talking about the Gentiles, and he's reminding them at one point, you didn't know God, you were a stranger to all the promises of God, and you had no hope. You had no hope, and such was every one of you at one point, and me. And such is some of you right now. You're a stranger to the promises and the covenants. I think sometimes as believers, and if you've been in Christ long enough, you might forget what it was like. You might have come to Christ at a very young age, and, and you don't really have a memory of what it was like before Christ, but some of you do, and I've heard your testimonies, and you have a testimony of exactly what Paul is saying. There was a time in your life where you had no hope. No hope. If you were facing death or, or somebody that you know had died, you had no hope. And we're going to dwell on that here a little more in, in, in a minute. Um, John Owen, a, a, one of the, a famous Puritan, says this, Consider what it means to live and die without Christ. Without Christ, we are at enmity. That, that is just, you're against, and God is against you. We are at enmity with God. Under God's curse and eternal wrath. If we assume all is well with our souls, we will not flee to Christ for refuge from eternal damnation. The healthy do not need a doctor. Only the sick come for healing. Do not think that it does not really matter whether you come to Christ or not, or that you can put off coming to Christ till later. Your present refusal of Christ is as high an act of enmity against God as any act in which you are capable. Think about those words for a moment. Your not coming to Christ is not, you don't have enough knowledge it's not maybe that you haven't heard the gospel, although it could be. Your present refusal of Christ is as high an act of enmity against God as any act in which you are capable. And I would just, again, put it out there to everyone in this room. Some of you know him, some of you don't. Come to him. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to Christ. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. In Ephesians, we're, we're looking at the beginning of Ephesians. It says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And then it just goes on to unpack what those are. One of them is what we're looking at today, redemption. But you have adoption, and you've been chosen, and, and redemption. Why do we treat these things as trivial? If you're in here, and you're hearing this, and you don't know Jesus, this is the offer. There's no better offer in the world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Redemption, and the forgiveness of sins, and the adoption into God's family, and heirs with Christ. There's no better offer. Take it. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? 
Come to him. Come to Christ. So what have we been redeemed from? That's what we got to look at this morning. The scripture says, in him we have redemption. What have we been redeemed from? Well, the first thing that we've been redeemed from is our guilt because of our sin. It's right in the text. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, Colossians 2, 13 to 14 says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and get this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. With its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So every human being, every human being has a record of debt standing against them. That record of debt is God's law. The Bible says all fall short, Romans 3, all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all have this record of debt that's staring against you, saying you have fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, you deserve the wrath of God. But in Christ, if you know Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, the debt is canceled. It's not standing against you. Oh, it, the enemy will try to use it to, to, to condemn you, but it does not condemn you. And can we be honest for a moment? Nobody lies to us more than we lie to ourselves. Nobody lies to you more than you lie to yourself. We can fool ourselves for a time, but one day we will be staring down death. One day you will meet your maker, and you will not be able to fool God. Again, you, you can fool yourself and you can tell yourself all these things and justify why you, you, you do this and why you do that. I Believe me, there was no one better at it than me. But one day, reality will set in and we won't be able to lie to ourselves anymore. We won't be able to lie to our friends. We will be before God um, there's a, a famous Christian book called Pilgrim's Progress, and um, Donna just took some of the women through it. I, I would just highly recommend this book. It's the second highest best-selling book behind the Bible. It's a, an amazing book. Um, the main character, his name is Christian, and he's got this load on his back. It's a backpack. And it's weighing him down. And that backpack is, is his sin and guilt. And, and it's, it's this record of debt standing against him. And he finally gets to a point where that pack comes off. And, and let me just read a bit from, from the book. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. 
I will kneel here and give thanks to God. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back. Then was Christian glad and lightsome with a merry heart. Friends, if you don't know Christ, you have a burden on your back. And you might be so used to this burden that you don't even recognize it. But when you meet Christ and you stare down the cross and you finally give yourself to him and have faith, that backpack is going to come off. About 18 years ago, before I came to faith, My daughter was born. And I hadn't thought much about my life. And many of you that have kids, when you have kids, kids will really get you thinking about who you are, what kind of person you are. And I can remember as soon as she was born, like immediately thinking, I'm not the kind of man I want to be for my kids. I know I'm not. And it was a, a year of a burden, the Lord just bringing this burden to me and just showing me one thing after another, like you, you did this, you did that. And I believe it was the Lord. I believe it was him. Until it got to a point where I had this backpack on me. I couldn't bear it anymore. I couldn't bear it. It was heavy. I, I couldn't go a day without thinking about it. Thinking about people that I had hurt. Things that I had done. And one day, the cross, it hit me. It hit me, and it, it was it, just like Christian. It rolled off my back. It was, I, I'm jumping for joy. I knew, looking at the cross and, and having faith in Christ, I knew that I was forgiven. And I, ne I was never haunted by any of that stuff again. And that is the, the offer, brothers and sisters, that's the offer of the gospel. That's the offer of redemption. That record of death that stands against every human being is canceled in Christ. Completely canceled. And I know some of you in here know that, and others in, in here, you don't. You don't even know what I'm talking about. And I pray for you. I pray for your soul that you can feel that and start being honest with yourself and pray that the, that the Lord shows you that there is a record of debt against you. So the first thing that we are redeemed from is the record of debt, our guilt, our shame. Shame's a different thing, but it's included in there. The second thing that we're redeemed from are our futile ways, our, our, our foolish ways. We're redeemed from these. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed. So here's that word. This is the, the same. It's, it's the ransom, redemption. You were ransomed 
from the feudal ways you inher inherited from your forefathers. So feudal ways that we inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we've, we've gone here in, in Proverbs. I don't have it on the screen, but there's a proverb, and it says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And these are the futile ways that Peter is talking about. We were ransomed by the blood of Christ from these ways. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in a believer and causes us to love God in a way that before we were at enmity against him. That's regeneration. It's the circumcision of the heart. Um, he gives us a new heart. You've, you've probably heard it said like that. At one point, we were slaves to righteousness. Now we're sla or, or slaves to, to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. And that is because God has given us a new heart. And that new heart ransoms us from our futile ways our life that was killing us, our decisions that we just kept making and making over and over again that were causing um, pain and suffering in our life and other people's lives. And maybe you're in here and like, well, that was never me. Well, maybe, maybe you were in a way that you don't even know it. So we're born again and we're given new desires. The third thing that, that we're ransomed from is the penalty of sin. And this is one that, that I think a lot of us really have, have a, a lot of, uh, it's probably the, the toughest one for Christians in today's Christian landscape in the United States to accept. We are ransomed from the penalty of sin, the wrath of God. And I don't know, maybe you don't have a category for the wrath of God um, but I would challenge you that, and just say that the Bible does. And, and without a category of the wrath of God, you can't make sense of the cross. You just can't. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and here, here's the key part, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That is tough. That's a tough one to think through, but this is the idea. God's wrath, his anger over sin and rebellion, rests on human beings for their rebelliousness against him, and it's satisfied in Christ on the cross for those who have faith. But outside of faith, that wrath is still on human beings. And what Paul is saying here, at one point, we were by nature children of wrath. We've been ransomed and rescued from the wrath of God by God. We've been rescued and ransomed from the wrath of God by God. We've also been redeemed to a future glory 
of redemption. And I'm just going to touch on this a little, but Romans 8, 28. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we were ransomed, we were redeemed from things, but we're also ransomed and redeemed to something. And a lot of times we forget that as Christians. We have only a taste but now. We have only a taste but now. The full meal, the full banquet is coming, and that includes the redemption of our bodies. Did you know that the fuel that fuels the Christian faith is a future hope? It's a future hope. We taste it now, we live it now, it it fuels us, but it's a future hope. We do not have it yet. So we have been redeemed, and we're being redeemed to something. Forgiveness of sins, the removal of guilt. God's wrath is replaced with his welcome and his love. Freedom to live and follow God in a future inheritance. And again, brothers and sisters, God is beckoning you to become an adopted child. He is saying, come, be an heir. In Christ, be an heir. All that is mine is yours. Just like the father and the prodigal son. Come in, son. All that is mine is yours. And I would just ask you, what is stopping you today from saying, I want it. That's mine. What is stopping you? Why would you put this off? Don't put it off. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Why would you put this off? There's going to be a day that you have to reckon with everything that you've done, and you've got to reckon with the the debt that is standing against you. Do not put it off. The price that was paid for the redemption of the children of God is costly. We're going to look at that now. It's a costly redemption. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8, back to our verse. In him we have redemption, and here's the key um, idea I want to look at, through his blood. We don't just have redemption because God said, here's redemption. There, something had to happen. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We uh, I talk about the, the current Christian landscape in, in, in America often. Um, it's no secret, if you look at the top-selling books list in, in Christianity, you're going to find motivational self-help books. Um, Christianity has morphed from believe in Jesus, repent, he died for your sins, to he's got a wonderful plan for your life, just, just believe. It's a half gospel, it's no gospel at all. The biggest leaders in the emerging church movement are trying to do away with, with the idea of sin and the idea of repentance and the idea of God's wrath. And I tell you that all of these things weaken the cross. You cannot 
fully understand the cross and worship in your understanding of the cross without a category of wrath and sin and repentance. R.C. Sproul was talking about some of these leaders, and, and um, you may know who, who he's talking about here, but he said one of the leaders of the recent emerging church movement boasts that he has not mentioned the word sin in the last 10 years of his preaching. He wants to make sure that his people will not feel crushed by guilt or by a loss of their self-esteem. Brothers and sisters, I would believe the exact opposite from that. I want us and me at times to feel God's weight of his law so we can go to the cross and worship Jesus and praise his holy name and thank him for our redemption. Amen. Amen. Without sin, without wrath, you are cutting worship. It's the feet from right underneath you in worship. Our worship is worshiping a God who redeemed us. We cannot take sin out of the picture. That's something that is called cheap grace. You may have heard the idea of, of cheap grace. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote The Cost of Discipleship. And he, he years ago, was sensing that, that something was rising up in the, in the landscape, and he called it cheap grace. And I got a few quotes from him. He says this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Cheap grace. The gospel is not you are forgiven and go keep on sinning. Jesus says, Go and sin no more. The gospel is not Jesus died for you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Even though that is true, that is not the gospel. Acts 26.20, Paul is talking about the gospel. He says, first to those in Damascus, he preached the gospel. Then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. If you're feeding on books or podcasts or, or anything that, that is so-called Christian that does not mention sin, repentance, I would just strongly caution you as your pastor, beware. It might feel good for a moment, but it is not going to give life to your walk. What's going to give life to your walk is the whole counsel of God. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, costly grace. This is the grace redeemed by his blood. There's a cost here. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it, 
is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Your salvation cost God. Your redemption, my redemption, has a cost. And this grace, Paul's saying in Ephesians, it's been lavished on us. It's been freely given, lavished upon us. And it should be so much that we know Paul says, I count everything else in my life as rubbish compared to this. Everything is rubbish compared to this. This is, again, the treasure in a field. His, have you so apprehended the gospel that you can say, I will be willing to give up everything to go and take hold of it? And I would submit to you, if you haven't, if those words are foreign to you, then you don't know the gospel. You don't. And I'm not saying right now we all go through seasons. I get that. I just prayed a prayer of confession that... We're apathetic towards these things, but have you ever tasted that? Have you tasted that? That's the true gospel. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Paul's talking about sexual immorality here, and he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, and that price was the blood, the death of the Son of God. The most costly price that could ever been paid for anything in the universe. Consider a moment with me. Have you ever thought that maybe you're, you're bored? with your faith because God's glorious grace that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1 is just not that glorious to you? Um, maybe the God that you are worshiping is a God that you've kind of pieced together and he's no God at all. Maybe you, you don't really think you were saved from anything. Maybe you believe in what, what theologians would call universalism, that everyone is saved, everyone in the end ends up um, in heaven and, and being one of God's. Maybe you believe that, and, and, and if you believe that, I don't know how you can worship at the foot of the cross. Have you considered the price of your redemption? Have you considered the price of your redemption? Let's continue in Ephesians 1, 9 to 10. So again, as we think about Ephesians, and, and I, I just want to challenge you, and if you get our email, you've, you've, I've been writing a little in the email, but just keep reading Ephesians 1. That's what I've been doing. I'm just in Ephesians 1. Just keep, keep reading it, 
looking at Paul's prayer, which we're going to get to in two weeks, and just keep reading it and looking at what are the connections, because he's not just rambling on. Paul has a purpose. Every word is, is placed for a reason. Um, okay, let's continue. Ephesians 1, 9 to 10, making known to us the mystery of his will. So, so the gospel is making known God's mystery of, of his will, which in future gen- or past generations he didn't, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So I want to look at fullness of time. Um, For the sake of brevity and not keeping you here for an hour and a half, which I I know you're thankful for, um, we're not going to look at the mystery. The mystery will come up a bit in Ephesians 3, so that's going to, we'll dig into that in future sermons. But right now I just want to, I want to look at that phrase as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and on earth. This should kind of recall another place. Um, actually, can you recall another place where Paul talks about the fullness of time in one of his letters? It's very easy for me to ask this knowing the answer, and I might not know it if I'm sitting in the seats. Um, it's Galatians 4, 4 to 5. Let's read that. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Paul here is talking about the incarnation, the first coming of Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And you guys have probably heard this, but uh, I'm going to... Say, say it anyway, um, to, to kind of give you an idea how God used the fullness of time. At this point in human history, there are three major cultures. Jewish, Judaism, Greek, and Roman. Three major cultures that exist in the world at this point. The Jews are under Roman rule. Alexander the Great had 300 years Prior to to Jesus, he came and conquered the the Mediterranean. And what Alexander the Great was really passionate about was Hellenistic culture, Greek culture. He wanted everyone to have the Greek ideas and the Greek language. So Greek was the common language of the day because Alexander the Great conquered city after city, region after region, and set up his culture, Greek culture. The Romans dominated this time frame, military. They they owned the cities. The, The Jews were under their thumb. And the Romans were all about law and order and civic structure. And what the Romans did was build extensive highways, roads, probably not highways, road, road system. The Greeks came with the language, the Romans came with the roads, and the Jews came with the Messiah. In the fullness of time, 
God sends forth his son. He comes, he dies, he resurrects, and now you have roads to bring the gospel to, and everybody's speaking the same language. And what does God do? He writes the New Testament in Greek. And everyone knows Greek. He used Alexander the Great like a puppet. 300 years before the coming of Christ, he used the Romans and all their sinful wanting and conquering the world to build roads. And then God uses those roads and uses that language to get the gospel to go forth to the nations. And I would propose to you this morning that just like that, God is doing the same thing right now. And we're reading here, in the fullness of time, all things will be united in Christ, in heaven, and on earth. In the fullness of time. God is setting the stage in the world right now as we know it, and we can look around and say, this is crazy, this is nuts, this is nuts, but he, in his divine wisdom, is setting the stage for the coming of Christ. Again, the second coming of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of this verse, in the fullness of time, he says, this verse is a key verse for our whole understanding of the epistle. And we're going we're gonna to get to that. There's a lot about unity in, in Ephesians. This is one of the greatest verses in the entire range of Scripture. We are taken right up into the heavens, and there we find ourselves looking face to face with God's final purpose. That word purpose in the Bible, it's called telos, and it's just the end to which all things are moving. God's final purpose. It is something bigger and greater than your personal salvation and mine. It's bigger and greater than that. Time is moving right now towards this end. Everything will be united in Christ. It doesn't look like it right now. The world is hating on Christ and, and the values of the Christian church, but one day everything will be united in him. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 2, 8 to 11, and Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, you either confess that Jesus Christ is Lord now while you still have time, where he can be your friend and your savior, or you wait and you will still be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, but he certainly will not be your savior. When you die, what will you say, metaphorically, you're standing at the gates of heaven? Imagine the Lord there for a moment, and he says to you, 
Why should I let you through these gates? What will you say? Will you hold up your works, what the Bible calls filthy rags, and say, look, God, look at these. Or will you point to Jesus and say, because of him, he said I can come. He said I can come. We're going to take communion here in a moment, and um, I would just say this is for believers. Um, This is a very intimate moment for believers. God has given communion to us as a sign of the the new covenant. Um, So if if you're not a believer, we would just politely ask that, that you pass. Um, but I, I also want to encourage you to respond to the word that the word of God demands a response always it demands a response and that response is going to be different for, for everyone in here maybe you're finally looking to the cross and saying that was for me maybe that's a response and I get, again, I want to encourage you, if you want to pray with someone, the elders or, or someone you know or leaders here, ask them after the service. But I want to bring you back to the Owen quote. He says, your present refusal of Christ is as high an act of enmity against God as any other act which you are capable. And I would just... Again, out of love for you, if you're sitting here and it's just like, ah, I don't care about any of this. I can't wait till you're done, pastor. I would just say these are the biggest things you can possibly consider ever in your life. And if you're distracted at all and you're not thinking about that, that is the enemy who wants to veil the truth from you. He does not want you to see the truth. Refusing to come to him is a response. Faith is a response. Repentance is a response. And worship is a response. Maybe you just need to ponder these things and worship. So why don't you come up now and take the bread and the cup And we'll give you some time to pray. Feel free to come forward. And I would just encourage you to take some time and really think about the blood of Christ and what that means for you. I would also ask, does your life and witness as a Christian attest to the truth that you consider the blood of Christ precious? Or do you trample on the blood 
by living however you please. God's grace and his mercy have been lavished upon the sons and daughters of Christ. night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together, church. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the redemption of our souls, of our bodies that are to come. We thank you for the the ransom, the release through the cross according to the riches of your grace that you've lavished upon us. Lord, give us hope as we look to the fullness of time that is to come when all things will be united together in you. That, that day, Lord, that we can look towards and stir each other up with hope we thank you and we praise your beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.